We've been considering in our sermon series this fall the 8th century prophet Hosea, some 750 years before the birth of Jesus, the Lord raised up a prophet named Hosea, and he called Hosea to do a very hard and uncomfortable thing. That was, he called Hosea to marry a promiscuous, unfaithful woman. A woman who would be characterized by vile adultery. And he called Hosea to do this in order to dramatize the guilt of Israel, God's covenant people, and to symbolize their vile idolatry and their betrayal of the covenant Lord. Flannery O'Connor, American novelist, short story writer, some of you familiar with her, she said this, to the hard of hearing, you shout. And for the almost blind, you draw large and startling figures. And that's precisely what Hosea is. Hosea is a figure, a character, a prophet raised up by God to live a dramatic story to get the attention of unfaithful people that they would be aware of their own unfaithfulness. So last week, if you were here or if you weren't here, we considered the covenantal context of the book of Hosea and really of the whole Bible that it is all given in the nature and structure of covenant, that is, promises that God makes and binds Himself to. And last week it was very important to hear that context because of everything that's going to flow from that context. One of those things being the consequences for covenant breaking. That if members, if parties made covenant together, there were to be real consequences when the covenant was broken. And those consequences in the Bible are called covenant curses. And it's very sobering language. If if you didn't hear last week's sermon, you, you do need to hear that for the context of Hosea and for some really hard things that are going to come up in the next chapters. Even today has some of that curse um, event for covenant unfaithfulness. But this week, as we continue in that consideration chapter by chapter, I think the best way to introduce what we're about to read is that it is a dramatic scene. The scene is going to change, and it's going to become drama-rich. And the purpose of that is to further emphasize how breaking the covenant relationship with God really does have dreadful consequences. But... God's merciful love is relentless in its pursuit to redeem His own bride. So you're going to hear the horror of consequences for sin, but then you're going to see the beautiful theme that God overcomes sin because He has promised and purposed Himself to redeem His bride. So with that context in mind, let's read Hosea chapter 3. It's only five verses but it's filled with much imagery and much meaning. The Lord said to me, that is Hosea, Go, show your love to your wife again. 
though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about an omer and a lethic of barley. And then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man. And I will behave the same way toward you. For the Israelites will live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last days. Let's pray God's blessing on our understanding of his word. Lord, would you show us what we need to see in ourselves, our own sinful ugliness and unfaithfulness. And yet, Lord, would you show us also your grace, your mercy, and your love that have purposed to relentlessly pursue and redeem your people to yourself. We ask this and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, uh, big picture And then we're going to conclude into the particulars of Hosea chapter 3. But in terms of the big picture, you know or should know that in Scripture, our relationship with God is likened to a marriage. This is Old Testament language. This is New Testament language. Listen to Isaiah the prophet in chapter 54, verses 4 and 5. The Lord says to his people, do not be afraid. You will not be put to shame for your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. So the Lord in the old covenant spoke of himself as being a husband to his people. That's Old Testament language. But we know this language in the New Testament, too. Uh, Perhaps this was read in your wedding or a part of premarital counseling. Uh, We had a wedding this past Friday night. This passage was referenced uh, in that service, and I couldn't help but think of Hosea and the imagery here. But there, a summary of what's found in Ephesians chapter 5 is this, that wives are to submit themselves to their husbands as to the Lord. The husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. And as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands. Husbands are to love their wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. And then he says, we are members of his body. And in him we become one flesh, which is the profound mystery of Christ and the church. 
So Old Testament imagery, New Testament imagery. The gift of marriage symbolizes God's own covenant relationship with his people or with his bride. Now what we know about covenant marriage and what we desire in covenant marriage, there's at least three things. Covenantally in marriage, husband and wife are to be the priority of the other. A recipe for for a good marriage would be that both spouses really believe that the other person sees them as a priority in their everyday life. So the marriage partners, it's to be a priority, each for the other. That is a, a focused priority of their lives. Secondly, in marriage, husband and wife are to share exclusive intimacy with one another. Only in, with, only in one another and with one another is there to be intimacy. So marriage is a priority. Marriage has intimacy. And then thirdly, covenantally in marriage, husband and wife must practice mutual fidelity with one another. That there is a faithfulness to that covenant promise and both parties know it. And that, if you have intimacy, fidelity, the priority of marriage, that makes for this beautiful power within the relationship. There's a a stability, a steadiness, and it's all rooted in faithfulness and keeping those promises as they've been made to one another and to God. So that's the ideal, right? That's what marriage is to be covenantally. But point number two, since the fall, since that event in Genesis that ruined humanity in sin, our relationship with God, according to Scripture, is like a bad marriage. It's like a broken marriage where all those attributes we just heard about marriage, they're not true. It's a really bad marriage, a broken marriage, where only one party is committed faithfully to the other. And that's the Lord to His people. But His people aren't holding their end of the deal in covenant relationship with God. This is why the Lord through Hosea has spoken this message. This is the point He wants His church, His covenant people to get, is that He has been faithful... And they have not. And interestingly, if you're reading this on your own at home, you can feel feel a flow and a cycle in Hosea where the Lord, you can feel that He hurts like a husband who's been cheated on. He hurts. You feel the emotional hurt of God. And then that hurt turns toward anger. He has just wrath. And the threat of those curses come to bear. And then you feel, as we'll get later in the book, he has this anguish within of what do I do? I I have a right to bring justice to the situation. But then it concludes with his anguish ends in his mercy. That he will end with mercy for his bride. And so you feel it. You feel the emotions uh, that are intended for Israel to hear and experience about their covenant Lord. And so Gomer, 
which by the way, we haven't talked about her name. We've talked about a lot of names in their, their meaning. Um, Gomer is the name given to this bride, and, and isn't that a beautiful name? How often have you known uh, parents who named their little girl Gomer? It's not a lovely name, is it? Um, well, it's, to, to our ear, it's not a pretty name. But really, the point of the story is she's not a pretty character. She's not a pretty person in her character of who she is. And so it's a weird name. For us, to our ear, it may be an unattractive name. But the real issue of Gomer is her heart, her faith, and her character. And of Gomer, it can be said that her marriage to Hosea is not a priority. Her marriage and her heart are characterized not as a priority, but as apathy. She's indifferent. It doesn't matter that Hosea is her husband. She's looking for fun. She's looking for stuff. She's looking for prosperity to come from wherever she can get it. And in this way, the Lord uses Gomer, her promiscuity, to image the church. So anytime I preach through Hosea, really anytime I preach through anything, so you know it's in the back of Pastor Paul's mind all week. And so if you listen to the radio, you're hearing songs that it's all about what you're reading in Scripture that week, right? Or if you watch a movie... The, the, the parallel themes uh, jump off of the film. So, so this week, I call this um, the spirit of Gomer this week on the radio. Um, Jelly Roll, for those of you who know who Jelly Roll is. Jelly Roll, lyrics to this country song. Listen to the spirit of Gomer. He says, I only talk to God when I need a favor. And I only pray when I ain't got a prayer. Now, I know Jelly Roll can be pretty crass, um, but here he sums up very well the spirit of Gomer. And maybe in your own heart, you can see and confess. You can search your own heart and say, you know what? The spirit of Gomer is in my heart as well. Because I only talk to God when I need something. Right? When I want something is when I'll get serious about prayer. That's the spirit of, of Gomer. Thank you, Jelly Roll, for putting it so concisely for all of us. That's the nature of the heart of Gomer. When I need something, I'll look to the Lord. When I need something, I'll look for my husband. Or I'll try to find it somewhere else first. I'll take matters into my own hands. I'll seek my own pleasure. That's the spirit of Gomer. And it's all around us. And it's in our own hearts. So Gomer is an unfaithful wife. She's apathetic towards her husband. And so are we. Secondly, though, Gomer has not been exclusive in her intimacy with her husband. Rather, she has been accused of vile infidelity. And remember, this is a physical infidelity that's intended to portray a spiritual promiscuity. That is Israel's idolatry as adultery. And that's captured in verse 1 of chapter 3. Let me read that again, where it says, The Lord said to me, Now go, show your love to your wife again. Though she's loved by another man and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. And here it is. Though they turn to other gods... 
and love the sacred raisin cakes. Ooh, those raisin cakes. What's up with the raisin cakes? Well, it's actually pretty simple. It would have been clear to the original hearers, but not so much to us. Remember the other husband, the other gods, the idolatry that Gomer is pursuing, that Israel is pursuing, is the god of Baal. And a part of the worship of of Baal involved temple prostitutes, as it was the pursuit of prosperity through sexual immorality and the hope of fertility in all things. So when we hear fertility, one particular kind of fertility comes to your mind, but really it was a prosperous fertility, that the land would be fertile, that their possessions could be prosperous, could be abundant, could be, could be great. So they were looking for the good life. And the raisin cakes were all a part of that worship of Baal. The raisin cakes were a delicacy in the worship of Baal enjoyed by the people. I mean, raisin cake, if you like raisins, raisin cake sounds pretty good, doesn't it? But it was tied to worship and the hope that Baal would make us fertile and make us prosperous and make our land fertile. So it was the worship of Baal. And it didn't hurt that you got the benefits of raisin cakes. And so Israel, who was to devote all of their worship to the one true God, was led astray by raisin cakes. And that should sound as petty as it just sounded. Wow, they abandoned the worship of the one true God for raisin cakes and the promise of fertility that could never be delivered by a false god, by Baal. But that's what Israel had done. And it it hurt God, it angered God, it caused God anguish. What will I do with these people? But remember the conclusion to all that. Those are pretty dreaded curses and emotions to come from God. But by His grace, it always ends in His mercy, which is where the story is always moving. These are examples of the spiritual paramours, one commentator on Hosea says. The paramour, the the side love, the other loves that Israel had been drawn to apart from Yahweh. And we should see that and see, see it for what it is. How could Israel make this mistake over and over and over again? How could they betray the one true God? Well, the spirit of Gomer is in all of our hearts. We too will look for blessing and prosperity to come from something other than the one true God. And that grieves God's heart, it hurts Him, it angers Him, and it causes Him anguish. What will He do with an unfaithful people? So Gomer embodies all that, that you might see yourself in her and see her in yourself. But the second character in this marriage is Hosea. He is the image of the faithful husband. Two things that characterize this husband. Number one, He has a jealous love for his wife. Now, when we think of a a jealous party in a relationship, in our culture, we immediately think of, you know, like a a jealous boyfriend, a demanding boyfriend. That's not the imagery used here. The imagery is of a husband who will not share his wife with anyone else. 
James Mateer in his commentary says, God will not be the third side of any triangle, much less a part of a polygon. Do you hear what he's saying? They wanted to add Baal in and have a triangular relationship. We'll let Yahweh bless us, but Baal, whew, Baal's looking good. A lot of blessing to come from Baal, so we'll have a triangular relationship. God says he will not be a part of any triangle, much less a polygon, adding many different gods or many different hopes for blessing. God in that way is jealous. He will not share his people with any false god, with them loving something other than him and giving something else the worship that he alone desires. So Hosea is a jealous husband. But secondly, he has a zealous love. He is a zealous husband. He will pursue his bride, even though she quite literally is not worth pursuing. But his relentless love will pursue her to the uttermost ends of the earth. Those of you who've seen the movie Taken, if I were to use it now, you would appreciate the illustration that this is a Brian Mills kind of love that the Lord has for his church. He will go to the uttermost ends of the earth to secure the well-being of his loved one. But I'm not going to use that illustration because so many of you have not seen that movie and don't know who Brian Mills is. But what we do see is that the Lord has a zeal. He pursues his bride. And this takes us to the dramatic scene in Hosea chapter 3. Here is where the real heart of the message in chapter 3 is. That is, because of the Lord's faithful covenant love, our broken marriage with God is restored. Now here's the dramatic scene in Hosea that we've read, fleshed out with a little detail. Gomer, who had turned to other lovers and enjoyed the gifts that they gave her, the prosperity that she got from them. In Hosea chapter 3, things have not gone well for Hosea. She is not warm and safe in the arms of another lover. She is on the auctioning block. Now, we don't know a lot about slaves and how this process worked, but one commentator on this passage imagined it this way. He said, picture Gomer on the auction block. She's been abandoned by those other lovers. Those other gods have not served her well. What we do know is that slaves typically were stripped down and exposed before they would be purchased. And so here is that bride of Hosea's who gave herself to others. And once she had done what she could do for those other lovers... They abandoned her. And now she's being sold into slavery because sin always has its consequences. Right? Sin always has consequences. And here she is, stripped visibly, publicly, embarrassed, and she's up for sale. And the passage says she's purchased. And the imagery is that Hosea, the husband, has shown up where his wife is for sale. And if this is a typical bartering for the product being sold, 
the common, one of the commentators I read said this, you can almost hear men in the background as they look her up and down saying, I'll give 12 shekels for her. And Hosea's voice is heard speaking up, 13 shekels for Gomer. But another man, 14 shekels. And Hosea speaks up again, 15 shekels. I'll pay 15 shekels. And then there's this language of an omer and a lethic of barley. And the imagery here is this. Hosea, so the shekels, that's your currency. That's your money. And Hosea has run out of money. He has 15 shekels. He's, he's offered everything that he has in his currency. And now all he has to offer, he can sell his goods. He can sell his barley. And I'll give lethics. I'll give omers. I'll give you everything that I have to buy this wayward wife back to myself, to redeem her, to purchase her. And so for 15 shekels, for the homers and lethics of barley, and in Exodus, I think it's Exodus chapter 22, we're, we're told what the going rate for a slave was. And it's what's used there by Hosea. She's purchased at the cost of a slave, the price of a slave. And so what would happen now? He has shown up. He has borne the ridicule. He has seen his wife publicly displayed. And he purchases her. He buys her. And commentators agree that at this point, he could do anything he wanted. She was his property purchased. He could strike her. He could wound her. He could do whatever he wants to. And if he was just an angry husband, it might end poorly. But remember, the whole theme of Hosea is that God is not just an angry and just God. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of love. And so that's how the story concludes in chapter 3. God's covenant love is a redeeming love. And Hosea will purchase his bride not to strike her, not to embarrass her, not to beat her, not to enslave her, but to liberate her, to set her free. That she might be loved and that she might now love as she has been loved. That is exclusively to love Hosea as her husband. To love Hosea as the one who purchased her. And through this purchase, Hosea seeks to restore their covenant relationship together. That's the nature of verse 3. Listen again to what is said. Verse 2 and verse 3. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about an omer and a lethic of barley. Then I told her, now listen to the covenant renewing language. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days, but you must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man. And I will behave the same way towards you. Sounds like a remarriage, doesn't it? So, so we blew this. You blew this, Gomer. So we're starting over. We're starting anew. And here are the ground rules. I will be yours and you must be mine. You be faithful to me 
And I promise I will be faithful to you. That's the covenant binding language. That's the promise that the Lord still loves His bride. He will treat her as His wife. And this is for many days. The whole nature of the marriage, that it would be long, that it would be exclusive, that it would be intimate, that it would be defined by faithfulness. And so though there could be anger, there could be wrath, the story ends with mercy. Because the Lord wants His people to know their sins are great, but His mercy is greater. And He will be the husband to them that they need the most. Isaiah the prophet in chapter 54, the fuller context of what I began with, listen to what is said there about the Lord as husband and the people as His wife. See if this sounds familiar to the message of Hosea. Your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is His name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. The Lord will call you back as if you were a wife deserted and distressed in spirit. A wife who married young only to be rejected, says your God. For a brief moment... I abandoned you, but with deep compassion, I will bring you back. In a surge of anger, I hid my face from you for a moment. But with everlasting kindness, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Do you hear it? Hosea is not the first to speak like this. This is Old Testament imagery and language. It's New Testament imagery and language. The Lord wants His people to know, you have been unfaithful to the covenant, and I have every right to crush you. But I will crush my son in your place, and I will redeem you and purchase you because my mercy is greater than my judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment in the kingdom of God. And Hosea, though he's 750 years before Jesus, Hosea is preparing us for Jesus. He's pointing us to Jesus, telling us a story of redeeming love, the husband's redeeming love for a wayward wife. And so as Hosea calls us to look into the mirror, every week it's my job to remind you, we identify with Gomer. Don't read this and think that you identify with Hosea. You and I identify with Gomer and all of her waywardness, all of her lostness, all of her looking for love in all the wrong places. But thanks be to God, there is a Hosea. It is the Lord Jesus Himself who pursued His bride with a relentless love to redeem her and then to renew that covenant to say for many days, you will walk with me and I will be yours. I will be your God. You will be my people. We're going to close in song singing that hymn, There is a Fountain Filled with Blood. And I've chosen it and I'm going to pray for it to be true of us at the end of our service. But the line that says, redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die.
for many days. As we sing that, I want you to consider that. Is redeeming love your theme? Have you seen that the Lord Jesus has pursued you as a part of His church with a relentless, redeeming love? That's the gospel according to Hosea. It's the ugliness of the bad news, but the beauty of the good news becomes oh so sweet when we're honest about our unfaithfulness. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank You for the grace and mercy that You offer us. You show us in this dramatic picture through the prophet Hosea. But Lord, sometimes we struggle to believe that our sin is really that bad. But Lord, would You convict our hearts and show us week after week the amazing love, the deep mercy that You have shown for wayward sinners like ourselves. Lord, may redeeming love truly be our theme all the days of our life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.